0: This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not medical or legal advice. Always follow your local policies, procedures, and protocols when functioning in your respective profession. Additionally, the views expressed by the speakers and owners of this podcast are their own and do not represent the views of their respective employers. Listener discretion is advised. Alert Medic 1
1: response.
0: Ken, Josh, and Mustafa here. Welcome back to the Alert Medic One podcast. Well, welcome back, everybody, to the Alert Medic One podcast. Uh, tonight, we've got myself, Ken, and Cody on, and we got a special guest, Cody's brother, Ryan, all the way coming from uh, Alabama. Ryan, would you like to introduce yourself?
2: Yeah, like I said, uh, my name's Ryan Winterford. I currently uh, sit as a training NCO, medlog sergeant for uh, a soft unit in the uh, National Guard. Uh, I'm a 68 whiskey by trade in the Army. I've been in the Army off and on since 2004. Uh, I've got about 12 years active duty time. accrued. Uh, I went to EMT school in 2007, and have been I have been involved in ambulance care, working on the uh, volunteer fire departments was an EMT on a hotshot crew on an engine uh, in the Angeles National Forest, and that brought me back to uh, the Army uh, after a, a little bit of break doing that stuff. So, so I've got some uh, combat medic experience. I've got some civilian EMS experience, got some tactical EMS experience, so, um, and that kind of all put me right, right in the CIM now.
0: Oh, so. <laughs> For the record, it's my little brother. <laughs> um. So. You know, what are we talking about tonight? What we're going to talk about tonight, guys, is uh, military medicine. Uh, Not so much, you know, about um, maybe the joint trauma system or specific things that go on in military medicine, but more about how people can get into it, how people can join and become an Army medic, a Navy corpsman, or an Air Force medical tech, um, and how the training that we receive or that those uh, people receive can help in transitioning and how you can transition that certification into a job coming out of the military. And then a hot button issue that is in hot button, at least in the army medicine, that just because you're a combat medic in the army does not mean you're a paramedic and what that actually entails and personal experiences we all have, you know, the three of us have with that. So, uh, starting off, um, for Army medicine, uh, to become an Army medic, you're going to want to go down to your local recruiter, knock on the door, start talking to them, and be dead set on wanting to be an Army medic. You know, there's some specific qualifications, GT scores, ASVAB scores, stuff like that you're going to need to pass um, and get certain scores on. But if you attain those, you know, you can go on to Army Medic, you go to basic, then you're going to go to Fort Sam Houston. And that's where we're all. Military medicine, at least at the enlisted level, and mostly most of the officer level, is made in the uh, United States. Um, you're going to be looking at about uh, six months at San Antonio, uh, five to six months, depending on where you fall in the pipeline of training. Sometimes you get held for a month, like I did in uh, reception, waiting for waiting for pickup. Yeah, yeah, it's a long story. And, you know, young private Josh Cook uh, didn't understand the the ways of the Army medical system and the Army uh, admin system. I, I could have jumped ahead, but, you know, it placed me where I am today. Everything happens for a reason. I sat in golf company for a month and hated my life. Uh, those Army medics that are listening completely understand that statement. Um, so uh, you're going to start off. In NREMT, That's going to be eight weeks. It's going to be a crash course of EMT. You're going to learn everything out of the book, just like every other civilian EMT does. At the end of it, you're going to test for your NREMT. You're going to do your psychomotor. You're going to do your cognitive. And as long as you pass that, you get to move on to the next phase. Uh, Not all pass it. And if you don't pass after a couple retries, guess what? Needs of the Army. You're going to be uh, kind of shot out to um, whatever they need. Truck driver. Um, petroleum specialist, uh, administration specialist, whatever it is. And then you're going to go down to what they like to call Whiskey Land. And Whiskey Land is where one of the first steps in uh, diverting away from being EMT happens in Army medicine. And you're going to learn to be a combat medic. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes you do get the, hey, we're not going to remember, we're not going to care about what we learned up the hill at EMT. We're going to only care about this because this is what makes Army medics. Um, and that, that does influence some of the transition later on. And also this thought of army medics or paramedics or very, you know, much equivalents. Yeah, um, and that,
3: that EMT course is a beast, man. It's six weeks. You've got six weeks to get through. At least when I, when I went through. My only one that I went through, when I started, it was 91. Are you guys both, did you guys both start at 68?
0: Yeah, I was a, I'm was. a 68. So after the transition, yeah, so.
3: No, that was, it was crazy, but it, that, my understanding is that standard still haven't changed. You get like first six weeks is EMT basic, and don't mess it up. Man. You don't, you don't afford to do the cool stuff after that. Like.
0: Yeah. Um, you can uh challenge the national mm-hmm. test, uh, if you have a state card. <laughs> uh, that was my issue. I had a state card, not a national card, because at the time, Maryland was not a national state, um, or nationally recognizing state. Um, and you know, I got the around. that, oh, well, we're going to have to find you a testing site somewhere in San Antonio. And, you know, the logistics of getting you there. And, you know, I don't know how we're going to do that in time. And, you know, you, you never know when you're going to get picked up. Well, you know, dumb private cook thought, oh, man, my my, my hopes are shot. Well, uh, the testing center is on base, guys. Okay. It's, it's literally like, you know, like 500 yards from where I was standing when I was told this. So it's it's not this logistical nightmare. They literally just had to find a time for me to take a test down there. Um, but you can advance ahead if you have a national card, and you'll go right to 68 Whiskey, the combat medic portion, and you'll chop off about three months of your time at San Antonio. Um, but they try and get that stuff ahead of time. Uh, but yeah, you know, uh, once you get into the, the, the Whiskey phase, uh, at least for me, um it was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, you get to learn how to be an army medic. You do a lot of trauma, a lot of trauma, a little bit of lim- limited primary care. That's the first block. And then after that, it's all tactical combat, casualty care, doing crikes, tourniquets, IVs. You get stuck more times than you wish to be stuck by people that know how to stick. Um, and yeah, and so there you start to learn what it is to be an army medic. Uh, and they like to say that like, once again, it's all about the trauma. You know, I, I don't know about you, Ryan. When you went through, it was probably the same. Yeah, so I, I went through. It's slightly different from you guys. I went through as a reclass, as an NCO, and I went to
2: the satellite in Shelby, Mississippi. So I did not have the fourth stand use. Very similar. Uh, I will say that uh, 68 Whiskey, and I'll, I'll, I'll circle back something you said earlier. 68 whiskey. I don't know if it was this FY or the next one, but they're going to go from EMT basic to AEMT. So when you graduate, you have to be advanced EMT basic, which I think is good for for the soldier that's going into that program. It helps them for the future. But um, yeah, uh, I still had the EMT, which I did both times I went through EMT school was at right at 30 days. So I've I've gone, <laughs> gone through the gamut with that. Uh, I've I've not had a semester of college to do any of my medical education like most. Um anyway, yeah but um yeah e m t school to the limited primary care to uh field craft the medical field craft, and then it was all traveling f d x After, um yeah you could you could see the gaps, and I would say, I had some great instructors, and I had some that weren't so great, but you could definitely see the gaps in experience and knowledge when they got into primary care because there's that's where you see an army medic who has done just army medic stuff until they're they're now having to be Forced to teach, and I had yeah. you know just the, the back the background. I'd gone to nursing school and paramedic school. Was not successful with either, but I had some experience. Um, and and being able to see the crosswalks between army medic, paramedic, nursing, yeah, I could be. I was good at I was good at some things with nursing, good at some things with paramedic, uh, but the big the big vacuum there for me has always been primary care, um and you might be able to speak to this from an active team standpoint, your PA at the battalion level, once you graduate and get through all that stuff all through the, the schoolhouse, your battalion PA and your senior medic, whoever that is, that's who makes, it, in my opinion, that's who makes, it, who sets the tone for your future. If your PA is super engaged and wants to teach and wants to talk, good for you. If he's just going to sit and sit call and go work just at the hospital an hour away, bad for you. But that's, you know, that's kind of what you get. It's not the schoolhouse that makes the medic. It's the leadership down, down range on the line, the environment they end up in. You could go to an infantry uh, battalion to work in the BAS. You could end up in a, a cache like Cody was for a point. And those are widely different. Uh, but they all start. Yeah,
3: you're right. They all start there in San Antonio. Uh, Don't forget the motor pool medics, man. Don't forget the motor yeah, pool yeah. medics. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, and and you talked about the satellite sites. You know, Shelby. Uh, I don't know if it still is one. Uh, there's another one uh, on the East Coast at um, Fort Indian Town Gap. Uh, and that's camp, where I did. Another one. Camp, camp Dodge, Iowa, I think is the other. So. Yep. Um, and I think there's one. There was one in Montana or North or South Dakota. Uh, that's right. Flight. There is one. There is one at Fort Harrison, Montana. Yeah, yeah a, a great up. medic of mine went through that when he reclassed from uh, infantry to medic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, when you go into the guard in the reserves uh, and if you are coming from active duty, um, you can reclass into those and then go to the satellite courses. Um, it's shorter. Um, it's a little bit different. Uh, like I said, 40 in the gap, that's where I drilled at for six years in the reserves. So it was right down the street. I saw them all the time. I knew a couple of people that went through the course um, in various aspects. Um, so yeah, San Antonio is not the only option. Uh, sometimes it is what happens. It is where you end up. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, the the limited primary care, I I look back and it's, it's crazy because the limited primary care is a lot of what a lot of medics in the, in the army do. Um, and it's kind of just kind of pushed away after I- AIT. Like you said, if you have a good um, PA, then you get engaged, you're good. Uh, when I was in the infantry, uh, I did not have a PA. Um, we had one that was chalked to, it, or chalked to us for a FTX, and then the rest of my battalion went down range, um, and my company was back in rear D. Unfortunately, you know, but we didn't have a PA, so I didn't get a whole lot there. And then when I moved to um, Charlie Med and the BSB, all the medic, all the docs were up at the clinic. We would do stuff in the field, but I became what Cody just said—a motor pool medic, basically, during the week. You know, we didn't do any medical training, and you know, it, that kind of leads into our next portion of the uh, the talk about transitioning, and I guess the mentality of how medicine is looked at by military medics but before we get there i really want to hit quick for those that are listening that maybe not interested in army medicine but air force and navy medicine um you're gonna oh ken you got a question
1: yeah um there's a lot of jargon and stuff flying around (laughs) and i'm not really following (laughs) to be honest with you but one of the major confusing points what is primary care is that okay. like medical treatment? Is that like patient assessment? Like, what are you guys talking
2: about?
0: So limited primary care is like your sick call, your like, um, your urgent care medicine, essentially. Like, it's talking about um, strains, sprains, breaks, uh, skin conditions. Yeah.
2: Stomach hurt. Is anything that they need outside of combat that you're supposed to be able to provide?
0: Yeah. And it's a, it's a two-week portion of 68 Whiskey where they, you have a book that you go through the whole t- thing. And it's it's a lot of EMT, uh, a lot of stuff from EMT applied into like, hey, you've got this soldier that comes in complaining of, um, we'll just say their, their feet hurt. And you've been out in the field a while. Okay, I've been changing your socks. I oh, know you got, okay, you've been in uh, immersion. You've got immersion foot or trench foot. You've got, you know, cellulitis, you got whatever it is. It's identifying those things. Um, it's a, it's making you able to show up on day one at your unit and go in and run sick call as a brand new medic. And sick call, uh, for those that don't understand, sick call is basically um, urgent care uh, for the military. It's within your unit. Um, and in the morning during uh, physical training, you can go to sick call and get seen and they can refer you to have to go to the main clinic, which is where the... PAs, doctors, um, or, um, PT, a whole bunch of different other specialties are at for your overall unit or area on the base. Um, it's this, it's a kind of archaic system, but that's a whole other discussion for another time. And I, thanks Ken for pointing out that there's been a lot of jargon. We apologize for that. Uh, we got into our own minds our own experiences and started saying all the words that maybe you guys don't understand. Um, if you have any questions, at, you know, reach out to us, obviously, about what we're asking or what we're saying, but um, any, you know, anything else, Ken? Probably. <laughs> um, uh, what about a uh,
1: 68 Whiskey? Is that a place? Maybe you said it and I missed it earlier. No,
0: uh, 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 Cody. <laughs>
1: <laughs> 68 Whiskey,
2: so all of, at least in the Army, uh, the military occupational specialty. MOS, or my job, because so I don't say Medic, I say 68 Whiskey to those. It's just an alphanumeric for every job in the Army, 11 Bravos, Infantry, 19 Deltas, have 88 Mike truck driver. It's just an alphanumeric to identify your career field and your specific job. Yeah.
0: Um, each service has different names and different alphanumerics or however they number it. Um, for example, uh, in the Navy, a corpsman that works, or corpsman, which is a medic in the Navy, um, who works with the Marine Corps, uh, so they're assigned to the Marines, is an eighty-four hundred four. It's a field corpsman. Yeah, uh, I, I, I don't know what their their overall number is for a corpsman, um, but they. And then the Air Force has uh, another alphanumeric for it, and it's just how we classify, like within our records, what we are. So you look at our records and you see that my primary MOS is 68 Whiskey. Um, You know, I had friends that were 42 Alpha, like Ryan was bringing up the other other names. 42 Alpha was an admin clerk, Um, you know, stuff like that. And it's just a way to figure out where people go for training, where they fall within for promotions, uh, movement between units, uh, staffing and manning levels, you know, um, Big army looks and says, okay, well, this unit needs this many 68 whiskeys. So we're going to pull, we're going to assign through human resources, these 68 whiskeys to that position. And we're going to have them move to that location, wherever it is in the United States or even the world. Um, But same thing with any other job and any other service does the same thing as well. They look at the manning levels and figure out where people need to go based on their uh, job duty and title. Uh, anything else, Ken? You, you no, are the, I'm uh, sorry. <laughs> the, the, you are the the audience that we need to be catering to better with our, you know, the first six, fifteen minutes of this.
1: Yeah, uh, you're good, man. It's it's been a great conversation. There's just little bits and pieces that I've been <laughs> like, oh, I'm not quite sure what's happening here, uh, but yeah. no, I'll, I'll let you uh, let you guys go on with your uh, your your talk here. It's been great yeah. so far. I I just so feel be- like I'm over in my own little corner up here, like.
0: Okay, <laughs> we're gonna try and keep the jargon down. We'll try, we'll try. Uh, so the Navy and Air Force, real quick. Um, same process. You're gonna go to get your recruiter. You're gonna to talk to them. You're gonna go and take uh, the ASVAB. We said that earlier. That's your uh, that's your test to see what you qualify for at job wise in the military. Um, imagine an SAT. That's what it is. It's an SAT with uh, some stuff on electrical. Some stuff on math, reading, comprehension, um, fitting shapes into certain things. It just determines what you're best at. And then that will help determine what jobs you get. Uh, So with the Navy, uh, you're going to go to um, boot camp out in Great Lakes. Uh, I believe it's two months. And then you're going to go from there to San Antonio once again. Once again, that's where military medicine is created. Um, And you're going to go to what's called A-School. Um, that is what they call their AIT, which is advanced individual training in the Army. It's where they learn their job. And so they're going to go there and they learn to be hospital corpsmen. hospital corpsmen can do a variety of jobs just like Army medics, but a lot of them work within a clinical setting of a hospital or the um, uh, aid or the medical section of a a ship or boat. uh, And... So a lot of them just learn how to manage patients on a floor or within a clinic, stuff like that. But then they can also apply to become uh, corpsmen with the Marine Corps uh, and their fleet uh, medical corpsmen. And then they in, even there, they can end up in clinics and in medical sections on ships. So they can also be with the infantry, with the different components of the Marine Corps, uh, providing medical care. Because the Marine Corps does not have their own medical providers. It is all provided by the Navy. Um, and from there, uh, oh, no, and just from there, uh, in the Navy, you do not get an NREMT. You do not become an EMT basic out of training. Uh, all their training is in-house, but you are allowed to challenge the NREMT. Um, and then you have to find a refresher course somewhere local to your base to then, uh, finish out the process of your psychomotor and your cognitive exam for NREMT. Which sets, unfortunately sets a lot of sailors up, corpsmen specifically, to not have the same job opportunities coming out of the service as the Air Force and Army medics. Um, it's, a, it's more work. The, 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 the Navy provides a way to pay for it. You don't have to pay for it out of pocket, but it's an extra step before getting out and you have to find the time and let your allow your command to give you the time to do the things, to get it done. And Mm. sometimes that's not possible. Um, but there is an option for those of you, if you're still in the Navy out there or if you're going into the Navy to get this done. Um, and there are some pretty cool opportunities within the Navy within medicine in general, um, that, you know, that include search and rescue air crewmen. um, special, uh, reconnaissance, uh, Marine or uh, reconnaissance corpsman, um, which, you know, work with, uh, force recon. And then, uh, <laughs> that was quite the loud pull. <laughs> <Sorry>.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: and, uh, so there's a lot of great opportunities, uh, that spawn some different training and, uh, and opportunities for getting different certifications. But like I said, upfront, you do not get an EMT certification. And then the Air Force, once again, right back to go to the recruiter, take your ASVAB, qualify for it, and you're going to go to basic military training at Lackland Air Force Base in Texas, right outside of San Antonio. If you're going to be an Air Air Force medical tech, which is an Air Force medic, you're going to then hop on a bus, quite literally a bus, and drive the 20 minutes down to San Antonio uh, or to Fort Sam Houston and start training there to be an Air Force medical tech. They do become uh, NREMT qualified or certified, and they have to maintain it just like the Army medics throughout their time to maintain their job code. Um, And so you do come out with your NREMT. Uh, So the same process would happen for you coming out of the Air Force as it would coming out of the Army to become an EMT in the civilian sector. once again, they also have a lot of cool opportunities to do different types of training as uh, medical techs. Uh, you can become an aerospace medical technician where you get to fly on um, like C-130s and C-17s, the transport aircraft, and help out with medical evacuation squadrons. Uh, you can work in clinics. You can work in the hospital. Um, if you so desire, you can go on to be, you know, a cool guy, a cool PJ guy, you know, one of those guys. Um, and get some other training along with it, but hmm. those are things that I'm only basic, you know, familiar at the base level. Uh, if you want to learn more about PJs and more about our Air Force Medicine, uh, PJ Medcast is a good one to follow. They've been around for many years. Uh, they have a plethora, absolute plethora of episodes to pick from. Yeah, uh, I think, PJ... they're, in their, I think they're in their 300th. They're in their 300 realm. I think right now. Yeah, he's close.
3: Uh PJ Medcast is great to PJ Medicine. If you want to know more about the pipeline and, and what it takes, one's ready is the uh is the the what they call it, the Air Force's official unofficial podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they talk they talk all special tactics stuff of which PJs are a part.
0: Yep. Um but yeah, I mean that's that that is the basic training there to be a enlisted medical provider in the armed services. Uh, I'm not I, I I'm sorry, I don't have any information on how the Coast Guard does it. I would imagine that they send their Corpsman to San Antonio as well. Uh, but I don't know about getting an EMT certification or anything like that. nobody um, cares about those
3: guys anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh I mean, yeah I will,
0: well, there's a the Coast Guard too. Like every conversation say back, like oh, those guys looking back, you know, they have some pretty cool jobs. <laughs> it is and, and I like these cool places. Yeah, like when I'm yeah.
2: on vacation and I look across and there's a Coast Guard base in the bay. I'm like, I took the wrong job. That's
0: a good yeah. spot.
2: Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, so, talking about getting out and transitioning, we've all gotten out of the military and transitioned to civilian sector EMS at some point. Uh, the three, and the three of us, have. Um, uh, my experience was pretty easy. Personally, uh, I came out with my paramedic card in hand. I got really lucky. I was able to go to a paramedic course while I was active duty. Um, Way back... I'm going to light you on fire next time I see you. Yeah. Uh, So way back in 2012, I want to say, the California Army National Guard did a a test in Afghanistan where they uh, deployed uh, their... uh, national guard aeromedical evacuation unit or dust off with only critical care paramedics so that was something that was brand new and it only could be done there because they were all civilian obviously outside of the national guard um and so they wanted to test ken you're gonna lose power buddy
1: it's possible (laughs) (laughs) it's already happened once so uh, if i disappear
0: (laughs) Didn't know if it was that or uh, Katie was calling to say, hey, dinner's ready or something. Like flicking the light on and
1: off. Like or... It's a poltergeist <laughs> up there.
0: Oh, yeah. That's so, a different uh, podcast. So... <laughs> uh, alert medic one after dark. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we've talked about it before, but off tangent. Uh, so, um, yeah, they deployed with only critical care paramedics and they uh, studied the uh, patient outcomes between uh, EMT only um, dust off units, which is that's what it was up until about 2015, 2016. So um,
3: 20, 2017 was the cutoff date for transition, yeah. full transition. Yes, I, I think they launched at 15, I think you're right. Yes,
0: correct. And so uh, they found out, surprise, surprise, um, patient outcomes are better when a critical care paramedic was in the back of the aircraft. Uh, this is both for quote unquote scene flights or point of injury flights. Uh, where they're picking up uh, critically injured uh, soldiers from the battlefield from the point of injury, and also the little-known side of dust-off in Afghanistan and Iraq, Um, and now more than ever in large-scale operations that are possibly on the horizon, uh, is taking patients that are sedated on a tube with head injuries, uh, multi-system trauma, multiple drips, um, all kinds of stuff, crazy stuff, maybe balloon pump, Possible uh, drains in the head, all this stuff, and flying them from a uh, little outpost in the mountains of Afghanistan back to a larger facility, and then that transition from hey, they've possibly picked up this patient from the point of injury. Now they're taking them to the higher level of care after they've been stabilized. You know, I'm, I'm just saying, I don't think there's any EMT that is ready to manage that patient in the back of an aircraft for 30. Minutes to an hour, possibly. Um, yeah, and that's what uh, that's what's
3: practiced. You know, documentary, you know they all
0: they proved that in the study.
3: So, so when you said you say outcomes were outcomes were better, it's 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 way more dramatic. They were there was a sixty seven percent difference in mortality with the California National Guard unit compared against the active duty element that they compared themselves against, and I can't remember if it was their they, they who they went out with or you who know, replaced them. I forget who they compared themselves to. sixty-seven percent reduction in mortality by having just experienced and higher trained, you know, medics on those aircraft. And it's like it's no joke. I mean, even even now with, with what I do, there's post post surgical patient with an open belly that's intubated and post you know from you know traumatic or whatever. Those are no joke. Some difficult patients, and yeah, an EMT with designs this dab on big, it's insane. And even, you know, even you know, folks that that Ryan works with it was a known issue that you know, you've got higher level, you know, soft operator you know, medics that are handing these patients their patients off to a lower level, lower, lower level. Care. I think, I think guys like uh. You know the PJs and and have done have kind of fill that gap a little bit, but it's it's depending on where you're employed and depending on what part of the country you were in at that time, dictated who you. got. And so it's 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 huge. So you got, if you guys really want to get deep into that story, the book is called Selfish Prayer. Um, and uh, it, it's a it's a great read. It's a powerful read, and toward the end of it you kind of get your head around why one, this isn't a really well-known initiative and study that's out there. Uh, and two, just the impact that it had on military medicine. And, you know, without, without guys willing to stake their careers, that would, we would not be having a discussion of critical care flight paramedics in the military.
0: Um, today. We wouldn't be having that. Yep. Um, I loved reading the book. I highly suggest anyone that is within the military medicine or even EMS in general read the book. You don't have to be interested in going into the military. I've been in the military to appreciate what is talked about. Uh, they actually do talk about true medicine in the book and not just, you know, cool guy flying, cool guy military medicine things. Um, it, it's amazing. Like you said, Selfish Prayer. Uh, you can find it on Amazon. Um, it's well worth the read. Um, But so from that, they figured out, hey, critical care paramedics need to be in the back of aircraft. Uh, So they started standing up uh, paramedic programs around the Army, and they authorized local bases to find local solutions. Uh, So Fort Bliss, where I was, found a solution through El Paso Community College, and uh, they had developed a fast track program for the uh, fire department and Border Patrol. Um, And they spawned that into a fast track. Program for Army flight medics. Um, and while I was never a flight medic, I got to be in a filler course that kept the program alive, basically. And 25 of us went through the course. I want to say this is a very, um, off the top of the head assessment. I think there's five of the 25 that are still paramedics. Um, and that, that spawns into something later about why there's so little from that class. But, um, so transitioning, I was, it was very easy for me. I had my paramedic card coming out. I went through all the process to get hired with the department I got hired with. And within three months of leaving the army, I was sitting in an academy, um, you, you know, with a full-time, you know, t- uh, full-time career type job. So Cody, what was transitioning for you? Like with coming out with just an EMT card?
3: Um, you know, being a, it, it was, it was easy and it was hard incredibly difficult because I didn't I didn't understand the civilian system as well as I, as I should have, so that I could manage my expectations better. You know, I was coming off of eight years and you know a few deployments, and you know I was, I was you know, slaying it as far as my resume goes. That's what I'm finding. Out. And um, being a paramedic was always one of it, it was my goal. You know, for for joining the military. Um, you know, I wanted to be a, I wanted to be a firefighter a paramedic and you know, I was too young to get into it at eighteen and sliding so enlistment. Eight years later that was still the goal. Um interesting thing was I was looking for work first so that I could pay for paramedic school or pay, you know, to help support the family through paramedic school. I think after the GI Bill, right? Um and there was, there was something like uh twenty thirty no's Thirty rejection letters because medic in the army or in the military does not translate to medic in the civilian world. That's kind of like we've opened up the discussion, right? It means two completely different things. And um, I was I was basically aware of that. Um, however, I just I didn't see the uh, the the constant rejection letters coming. I didn't see that coming and. and um, you know, had a, I had had a good plan in place to, I was already accepted in school, so I didn't even have to leave Fort Hood. I, I was able to stay right there, so we didn't have to do a family move, family move school, and then try to get them all this stuff. Uh, I was able to find a job as an EMT basic. So interestingly enough, there's something to be said for uh, So the first civilian EMS job that I had, I was hired by an old Navy corpsman. Jeffrey Mincy, I'll never forget him. I went to a job fair. I was trying to get out of doing stupid shit at the unit, so I was, I was like, "I hey, today." I just went, actually went to the job fair that I was supposed to go to, and there's there was Jeff. Uh, I'm sorry, no, there was his hospital system. there in uh, they in Gatesville, Texas, and they they were like, "Hey, here's the guy. I call the guy. I call Jeff, and and we'll hook you up." So he walked me through everything. he walked me through getting my ENT basic for the state. So having a national register card doesn't mean a whole lot to a lot of people. You can be certified. That's what that means, but you're not credentialed to work in the state uh, until you're certified by that state. Um, And there's a few, very few exceptions to that rule that you have to be credentialed in the state that you're working in. Um, Probably probably 98% accuracy there, Josh. Yeah. Um, It's it's mostly government type stuff where you need it, but
0: yeah. So they, um, the, the long and short of it is you need to wherever you're going to be. First off, you know, we can have, this would be a whole nother discussion. Even if you're retiring from the fire department, have a plan. If you are in the military right now and you're listening to this episode and you are getting out, have a plan. Okay. Um, those that get out without a plan. Have a higher chance of ending back in the military, or just yeah. <laughs> and it happens. Look, it happens, and it's daunting. When you get out, even when you have a plan. But if you don't have a plan, if you just say, "Hey, you know, I think I'm going to go to school," or "I got a friend that's going to get me a job," no, line that stuff up before you leave. Okay. Yeah. Um, so find out where you're staying. Are you staying where you are leaving the service from? So, for example, Cody left from Fort Hood. Or Fort Cavazos now, um, and ended up in the Killeen, uh, Central Eastern Texas area. Are you staying there or are you moving back home? Find out where you're going. If you're a military, if you're an Army medic or a military medic that has an EMT card, and contact your state EMS agency. Find out what you need to do to get a card in that state. So Texas, having I'm familiar with Texas as well. Texas is is actually a very simple process now. It is, you literally you call the state EMS agents or state health and human services division. I still get their emails. Nominate <laughs> your top EMS clinicians. I'm like, well, I haven't been a clinician there in a while, but, um, and you you provide a copy of your card in your training. That's what you do. And then they give you an EMT card or a paramedic card in return, and then you can apply that to wherever you're going to be. Uh, Maryland. Uh, last I checked, it was still a reciprocity process that you need to – It can actually, you can probably speak to this now better than the either me or Cody because yeah, you're an educator now.
1: Yeah, for uh, about for three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would have to refer to my state EMS agency's website to address that uh, <laughs> question accurately. <laughs>
0: uh, but you have to go through a process. Um, I know when I uh, brought my EMT card from Virginia back to Maryland, this was before the uh, Army. I had to take a state protocol test uh, as an EMT and I also had to take a state refresher class. Um, yeah, I, I did it outside of being a volunteer. It, wasn't, it was paid for out of pocket and it was processed, but um, find out what it is. Don't just show up expecting them to be like, Oh, you're an army medic. We're going to roll out the red carpet for you. I'm going to burst your bubble now. They, yeah. they're not going to care. Okay. Plain and simple. Do the research, know what to do, and show up prepared for this. Ryan, you got something? Yeah,
2: up? I was going to double down on that. With, with my experience uh, transitioning and having to, yes, I'm an you know, interview as an Army medic, basically. Um, there are medical directors that I, that I talked to uh, that were like, I, I refused to hire 68 because I had this one guy or these two dudes or whoever that were terrible. They didn't know what they were supposed to know. And this is urgent care and the emergency room uh, in, in Dallas. That, that most of these folks are like, I, I don't typically hire Army medics because X, Y. And. So if they're getting out, if, you know, if to, to add on to the getting out thing, being a steward of the profession, of the Army medical profession, is, is paramount. Because you're not going to get in just on, I'm a medic. It's not 2005 anymore. No one cares that you're in the military. And furthermore, we've had enough of a sample size of veterans from the GWAT to come into the workforce and, unfortunately, in this case, dilute it, dilute the quality of it. And so that's something to be, I would just tell people to be cautioned caution about. Uh, don't just go in with your best foot forward being an Army medic. Be a really smart person. Be a really You know, that's, that's something I would want to add to that aspect because I've, I've worked with them uh, to where they're trash, they're garbage uh clinicians, but they were a medic and that's why they got hired. That's now that that is you. You they represent you, you represent them, you're all the same. So I would say to to really have something more to offer if you're interviewing to be uh, in the medical field, have something more than just a title That's what I was
3: Yeah, I can attest to that. They don't care. They don't no. they wanna they wanna they they need the, they need certain qualities, they need certain certifications, they need certain time. Certain certification levels. And if you don't have it, I mean, don't take it personally. You don't have it. So just do your time. Mm-hmm. Um, like, my, my, my time was finished up. Uh, let's see. I did, did permanent school while working part time in a, in a, as an EMT in a rural county service, which was you know, awesome, right? But um, that was the last, there was only eight months of EMT level experience I ever had. Us senior yeah. EMT level experience I ever had. I mean, being try, thinking, being a military medic, being an army medic, and then thinking that oh I can jump on an ambulance and I'm good to go—kind of to, to Ryan's point, it's night and day. It's, it couldn't be more different. And if you're coming with that, so the military, you guys, you guys know this. The military, the military, kind of draws a, a very hard line, um, the same way civilians do. Right. The military draws a very, very heavy line and says, "Listen, nobody gives this ain't civilian medicine," which is total bullshit. But this isn't civilian medicine. This is this is tactical medicine. This is army medicine. This is this is how we do it on the battlefield. And none of that civilian stuff matters until you're civilian. you civilian stuff that they told you for eight years. It didn't matter. And man, you talk about some. So it's I mean, there's a great segue into discussions on training scars, which could be a podcast in and of itself. Uh, You know, just training scars and bad mental models for the job. Um, don't get, I mean, I, I, would, I would ask the listeners, you know, don't misunderstand us and saying that military service was not beneficial and that these guys should be shit on because they're not, this or not the other side don't, don't hear that. Hear that. You need to be a good dude. You can't just have been a military medic in, in any in any capacity, whether you were just a regular leg, leg-ass medic in some unit or you were one of the t- tippy tops off guys. Um, it, it doesn't matter. You got to be a good dude and you need to be a good employee. As well, and showing up with a chip on your shoulder or showing up like I'm better than all this will not will not do you any favors uh, getting hired. Um, the one, the, I think, the biggest benefit, and Josh, you can probably can attest to this, is your military service does give you uh, civil service credits. Provided I mean, pass the test. I didn't pass the test. on so yeah.
0: points. <laughs> um, and some places have preferential hiring of, of veterans. So when I got hired by my department, there was preferential hiring for veterans um it's like it's an extra you know checkbox on your application you know it's it's a metric um and there are departments out there that have a certain number of um veterans that they try and have in every class that's police fire yeah. ems departments they specifically cater and hire from our um population of veterans Um, because they want that within their service, but that doesn't mean that's a free ride for you guys. That means guys and girls still, as Ryan put it, be a good steward of the military and be a good steward of military medicine. Okay. Um, Cody brought up, you know, that coming out of the military and hopping on a civilian EMS truck is night and day different. And it is. Um, I luckily came in with experience, but seeing the lack of experience from my fellow Army medics in emergency medicine, it just highlighted it even more. Um, And what I emphasize, any Army medic that's listening, if we have any listeners, listeners out there that are, care about the EMT portion of your job don't go into your refresher classes every two years uh, or your table eights and just blow off the EMT research portion part. Blow off the medical classes, blow off the EMS trauma classes and only focus on the army trauma research stuff. Okay. Don't, don't do that. I heard it time and again when I was in it. Oh, I hate that first week of refresher because it's all EMT stuff. And I hate that stuff. It's not my, it's not my job to know that it is and be good at it because it can produce a a job and a certification that you can have coming out that can help you, you know, sustain family life and provide a house and a life for your family and then spawn into many other things, paramedicine, Nursing, medical school—if you so so choose—it can be that catalyst. So don't just disregard it, please. I'm um, gonna say, Ryan. Yeah. What was that? Yeah. No. I, I agree with what you're saying is
2: uh, not taking—I no, guess—not taking for granted what, what the military has given you, because not everybody knows that. Uh, uh, to you talking about the lack of experience with, with military medical folks and the civilian side. And that's something that I don't know if I don't know if I'm going to stay at the web or it's going to come out the way I want to say, it, Is don't just assume that a everybody that you're speaking to as a as a medic as a military medic person. Don't assume everybody you're speaking to knows what that means and knows everything about it. And also, if you're a hiring manager, or EMS official, or whatever, don't just assume that every medic that comes across your table or comes across your desk has gotten it on every time they've deployed, and it's blood and guts every day. It's not the case. So they get a lot of exposure, or they should, or they should be seeking it, but I think the expectation, and veterans don't do a lot of favors for themselves by not setting those expectations like, hey, listen, I'm a military medic, but this isn't Vietnam, man. Like, you know, I just did my time. Not everybody, you know, was just blood guts every day. So uh, just expectation management on both sides is what I would say. Anybody listening to this on either side of the hiring uh, t- the desk is, is, is don't make too many assumptions about what a military medic is and what they can do. And if you're a military medic, don't make too many assumptions that people just know that you're so star-studded off because we are. I think overall mm-hmm. 68 whiskeys are given kind of a – and Corman and all these folks are given a bad rap <clears throat> uh, because we, we know a lot of stuff. We're very smart. You just can't prove it on paper because you're just an EMT. Right. So they don't know all the things that like my, my credential. I'm just an EMT basic. I know a lot more than that. But I can't prove it on paper. And that's how like most 68 whiskeys, I feel like they might be uh, or they might feel inferior applying against a bunch of paramedics or whatever. And they may have more street. You know, certainly the case in, in my racket in the guard. Uh, when we work with uh, active duty medics and uh, soft, those guys aren't doing medicine. Some of them are. Some of them are working in their MTPs and their their, uh, their clinical sites. But as a general rule, like if you're a dude in fifth group as a medic, you're not doing this stuff every day. You're reading about it, you're training, you're like, you're watching, doing this podcasting, but you're not doing medic stuff every day. You're training. So don't be too presumptive that every 18 Delta or SART or whoever you run across is so star studded awesome just because they have that title. They may not have done anything either. So it's the expectation management. I think all the way around you're hiring, firing, trying to get a job, trying to make a uh, career change, it's it's all these things to consider about the the culture of a veteran transition and what that
0: means. For those that, you know, just to clarify, 18 Delta, uh, that's a Greenberry medic. uh, A SARC is a special Special amphibious recon corpsman. Special amphibious Mm -hmm. recon corpsman, which is probably the longest pipeline that nobody talks about. Incredibly hard.
2: Yeah. Yeah, sorry about the jargon, but yeah.
0: Those are your special operations, like, you know, cool guy, tier one, tier two units. Um, Yeah, they're not doing medicine every day. They are highly trained, highly specialized, but it is not their primary job. Uh, And, you know, I'm I'm one of those people, you know, where uh, on the other side of the table, I did 10 years in the military, never deployed, never left the United States and never served overseas. And so I never did the, you know, I was never in a firefight. I was never, I never provided care under fire all the trauma care I've ever done has been civilian. I've never once, you know, opened up an IFAC or my aid bag to treat a gunshot wound in the military. But that, you know, the assumption is because of 10 years in the military in the current realm that we're in. And I actually came in a little late in 2012, um, meant I deployed and I saw all these things and did all these things. Uh, So, don't go in as both the medic, assuming that the, that's what they think of you, and then same time for those that are, you know, the hiring managers and as private companies, don't assume that of your prospective employee. They have a yeah, lot of knowledge. That was but, a huge
3: a like, call for me. Uh, so as, as my transition eventually started going really well for me, and you know, I was eventually on the other side of that desk, and I was really looking for. God, like, want to do serve one because I was a little, I want to say jaded that's maybe not the right word, but I knew how hard it was for me and I knew what, what Jeff had done for me. And I kind of wanted to pay that forward. So when, well, you know, if I could bring a veteran guy in and help him through school or help him through whatever transition he's going through and give him a job, if I can do nothing else for this cat, I can give him a job. Then I actively sought those guys. But there was, there was a couple times I got burned and, um, you know, it was just kind of like to run what you guys have kind of been saying for the last little bit of like, listen, they, they they came in and the coolest thing was that they had been in the military, and and they weren't much, they were not great employees. I let's mean, just be full, full disclosure, but you know, but it's they, they, they just they just they got out and they were like, I'm better than, all. I'm better than this, I'm better than, than their military understanding these. and had higher standards, well, maybe. That's let me let me look at your resume. I don't it yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. No. <laughs> that's the thing about
2: discipline. That's the thing about discipline too, about being too presumptive, Is the, 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 the discipline it takes to work in the civilian side versus what it takes to be doing what I'm doing. It is big difference. Like discipline in the military, is, you know, getting dressed. Hygiene, mm-hmm. working out whatever. The civilian side, it's I mean, it's a lot more like you're you're very very much responsible for your entire life. Whereas in the military, yeah. whether you realize it or not, somebody was always wiping your nose, whether you saw it or not. Um, in the yeah, world, it's... you
3: have to be an adult, right? You have to be a real adult. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: yeah. Ken, do you have do you have anything? I, I know.
1: Well, I didn't want to just throw out there. Um, as we've been talking about this, I would really like to see us do an episode about uh, like presenting yourself as a professional. All from applying to a job through you know delivering a death notification. Like, how do oh, we yeah. do that? I think that would be a great topic. And I'm sorry to derail this.
2: No, no, that's <laughs> no, I that, agree. That's excellent. That speaks to a lot of the maturity that is required
1: of the career careers we're talking
2: about. In the military is a big difference between I think Austin and the rest of the military is extremely level. And that's what you just said, Ken,
3: that's that's very important, critically important to be able to communicate. Yeah, uh, like yep. a professional. Uh,
0: Sure. Um. So, you know, we talked about transitioning. We've talked about how you get into the military to be a military medic. You know, and then here's the hot button issue. And we kind of have already kind of hit on it a little bit, but being it. an army medic, being a uh, fleet marine corpsman, um, being an air force medical tech. You know, all these we got all this extra training. You know, uh, Ryan kind of alluded to it that. There's a lot that we can do, but it's not on paper. Um, You know, he talked about at the beginning about having a PA that, or a medical provider of a higher level, either a doc or a PA, um, can teach us a lot of things that we can't put on paper. Uh, When I was uh, with the infantry, I was taught to suture. I was taught to drain abscesses, inject lidocaine. Um, Had I been with that PA a bit longer, we probably would have talked about nerve blocks, You know, all these different things that even as a paramedic, I don't do. And I probably will never do as a paramedic. Um, But I was taught how to do them and was expected to be proficient in them as an EMT in the Army. And, uh, you know, there's then there's meds that we get that are normally that we are that are part of our formulary that are paramedic level drugs, ketamine, Mm -hmm. big time. Uh, Another one, Uh, we go straight from an NPA to a surgical crike. We don't have, there is no formal, um, unless it's changed at Fort Sam Houston or the satellite sites, we don't talk about supraglottics a whole lot. Um, There has been a recent conversation about how do we introduce intubation to the ground level provider that is not a special operations uh, medic you know, stuff like that. But, you know, we're we're doing these things that are paramedic skills in the civilian side over EMTs. Yep. You know, um, I was intimating
3: on in my first deployment. They taught, they said, hey, we need help. We need extra hands doing this. You're capable. We're gonna teach you how to do it. And I'm trained by anesthesia, yes. anesthesiologists that were in our, in our work. And I mean, it was pretty dope. But Like Ryan said, I've been pretty long, I couldn't use it. Yep. And,
0: and that that's, that's something we run into a lot as army medics and as military medics in general. And it's what leads to this belief that because, you know, you got all this extra training and your, um, your formulary included ketamine and fentanyl, and you gave, uh, antibiotics you gave, you know, maybe depending on the job you were in, you gave paralytics and sedation and you did RSI level of things, you know, that. Well, I'm an army medic. I did all these things. I'm like a paramedic. I could make this jump no problem. Why isn't there a military medic level national certification? Or why can't I just walk into paramedic school and be like, hey, I only need to be here like two weeks? Teach me how to, you know, read cardiology, uh, you know, read strips and, you know, and I Different. can have you no, know, I can't. I, I'll say this, Josh, is you, you can
3: walk into paramedic school with and say that you can say, you know, why do I why do I have to do X, Y or Z? But no, you, you can do that. And I encourage, you know, the 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 army medics that are transitioning and going to a paramedic school to walk in there and say, I have done a lot of stuff in my career. I have done these things. What can I use those experiences for from five years ago, from four years ago to make me successful now? Right? And and what what can it what what and I think a big piece of it is kind of like that discipline and professionalism that we've kind of been dancing around a little bit of, you know, you didn't get taught to do I and Ds and Sutures if you were the shithead medic. If you were the if you were the 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 dirtbag, you didn't get taught to do that stuff. So there was a level of trust that comes with competence and professionalism and developing yourself in professionalism. So if you want the cool jobs as a paramedic, you need to maintain that standard of and and, and discipline of, you know, I'm going to be a professional. This is this is what I do for a living. And somebody's life depends on on my my capacity for this job. So walk in there with that exact same mentality. You just you're yeah. Are you going to go back and see things that you've done before? Great. Use that to your advantage build your rapport with your instructors that way. Don't go in there acting like you're better than the training. Go in there and be super freaking proficient with it because you've done it a thousand times before. And build your rapport within the class. You know, use that kind of, use those things to your advantage socially. You know, there's, there's so many different ways to use your military experience to your advantage. But if you walk in there thinking that I'm better than this because I was in the military, you're going to man, are you gonna fall flat on your face? And uh, there's a funny, I, I had a funny thought, Josh. You talked about, um, you know, they taught us how to do INDs, or irrigation and drain uh, for abscesses and things like that. How many booty abscesses did you cut out before you realized why they taught you to do it? <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to do it anymore. You don't want to do it anymore. You're like, <laughs> oh, this is awesome. And then there's there was one, I remember it very vividly. There was a pilonidal cyst that we did right up at the top of some guy's butt crack. And it, when it popped, it was the most rancid, most it's it, to this. Well, it's the second most awful thing I've ever smelled in my life. And they're like, all right, man, you good. I was like, no, 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 don't run it. Don't, don't. Where are you going? Where are you going? <laughs> but, uh, I guess I'm good. And you're stuck You're stuck with this cesspool of bullshit. It's only how foot put it. And, and you have to clean this up. And I realized at that moment, I was like, that's why they taught me how to do this. <laughs> so they don't have to deal it. Yep. yep. Old school PA trick. <laughs> Old school PA trick.
2: <laughs> it's true. It's absolutely true. So Josh, back to your question, you were asking, is, is is there a need for a critical care paramedic in the Army? Is that what you're...
0: No, no, no. no. Oh. Um, I I believe there is, by the way, if, if we're going to broach that topic. Uh, I believe that there is a need for it. Both at the the flight level and the ground level, and the Army has recognized that uh, at least at the para- at least teaching someone to the paramedic level at the ground um, <laughs> with the current uh, combat paramedic course that is a highly debated hot topic of how do you do it um, and what's the actual goal of it but
2: that's it. I got a great i' got a great guest for another show. I'll talk to him if he's interested. He is. He graduated the Army Flight Medic course, and I think he is auditing the Combat Critical Care. Or something he's doing another thing right now. He's the guy to talk to have There is a
0: there is a role for it, especially uh, with the evolving battle space uh, that is coming on the horizon.
2: So that's so that's what brought me to the question. With okay, so uh, and this might be. Uh, a little bit of a complicated question. It is loaded. I'm going to go ahead and give you that. So with LISCO, you mentioned LISCO is large-scale combat operation, right? That's what we're all focusing towards now. We're going from COIN or counterinsurgency, counterterrorism, to large-scale combat. And with that, uh, medical logistics is a big piece of that. Logistics is always a piece of any combat operation. So we were talking about blood recently at a conference. What is the point of having eight units of blood per soldier in theater, which is a goal, Um, What is the point of having that many units of blood per soldier if you can't keep it cool, if you can't warm it when you need it? Because all of the systems to do that are so expensive and hard to get a hold of. Well, do we even carry blood? Uh, Narcotics. Okay, now you're far deployed, far forward deployed, and this is not Afghanistan, this is not Iraq, where you can fly a helicopter every corner of those countries and pick somebody up with all the the stuff you need. Chances are your resupply is days, if not weeks, behind you. So... The the reason I asked the question is having more tools in education is great. Always great. Fantastic. But if your bag is still the same size with the same stuff in it, of what use is the you know what I mean? You're still asked to do the same job. You you're mm-hmm. not gonna get the tools to do it with, you're not gonna have the e you had before, you're not gonna have the 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 infrastructure that you had before. So you're having to do a lot of the same with a lot less. So that was something I'm 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 trying to research and run down within our own racket too, is like, well, why are we fielding so much or why are we giving so much for this one pigeonhole in- injury they might see once? So we're like giving so much emphasis on blood and all these things, which is obviously important. But the logistics behind getting blood to the battlefield is almost, and I've cautioned what I'm about to say is almost not worth it when it comes to fighting the battle, because we have one small piece of that thing to do is just keep people alive. Don't get me wrong. That's our job. But there is a big bigger, bigger picture, way bigger picture moving forward. So no,
3: go ahead. Go ahead, Josh.
0: No, I, I I hear you. Like it, that was actually talked about we were running that up during Refresher. So I did my final Army refresher um, back in January of last year out in um Fort McCoy out in mm-hmm. Wisconsin. And uh for those that are listening once again that are Army medics, if you're a paramedic in the army in the guard or reserve and you don't know about the paramedic level refresher that mccoy does hit us up in the dms i will get you the information it is a much better course to go to than your normal refresher tables because it is taught at a paramedic level um and so we were talking about that out there because you know ukraine was hot and heavy still obviously and still is um and how you know, We're talking about certain things with uh, LISCO, large-scale large combat operations, and how do we do the uh, logistics side of it and why are we focusing so much on prolonged field care when we can't even have the proper equipment to do PFC and how can you – sorry, prolonged field care is PFC, and how can you do that when you are under threat of artillery bombardment at any given time? You can't yeah. truly perform. Prolonged field care if you have to move pretty consistently to not become engaged you know stuff like that and i think that is that might be a talk that is outside the realm of this podcast because you know cody and i are i'm shortly removed from the military but cody is much longer removed from the military than i uh it is an interesting topic that is being actively discussed, uh, if, if anyone is interested, uh, Euromedics uh, yeah Euromedics, I think. Is it European mm-hmm.
2: Medic? It's, I think it's Euromedic. Yeah. I know who you're Yeah, talking.
0: Euromedic expounds upon this daily mm-hmm. on their mm-hmm. Instagram. Uh, they have a podcast as well. Um, cool thing about them, they were a uh, big telehealth resource for Ukrainian uh, providers uh, during the beginning of the invasion. Mm-hmm. Um, they were using their Discord server to connect um, providers with Ukrainian providers that needed assistance. Um, it was pretty interesting, but I think that's a bigger talk. I mean, I think critical care does fall into that. and It does have a role um, or just a paramedic in general.
3: Well, there's elements. Of, there's, there's pieces and bits and parts of critical care or whatever it is, whatever it is, like this paramedic thing you want to pick from. And it, all of those at some point in your career as a as a military medic will if you get the training, you will be an asset in that situation. Uh, you're going to get critical care training and you, and knowing how to run vents and knowing how to do drips or at least drip calculations and things like that. You know, you're not always a frontline guy. I will tell you that. You're not you're not always assigned to a front a frontline unit where you're doing motor pool on the Mondays and you're going, what am I doing, medic stuff? And then you get deployed and you're going, all of a sudden I'm doing medic stuff. You know, sometimes you get, you get into units where, uh, you know, you're a, you're, a, you're in the ER of a roll three support hospital, and you're knowing how to run a ventilator, knowing how to run pumps, knowing how to do that stuff makes you more of an asset to your unit and to your team. And then you can then in turn teach that, This, which I think is the beauty of the military, right? So if you know something and you're a subject matter expert, you can train your entire team in how to do it. And you don't have to go through all this bullshit credentialing. The we got a Joe and Jim and Get them signed off by someone. It's the great thing in the military is if you, if you could be taught it and somebody's wanting to verify that you've been taught it and yeah, even you, you can do it. Um, and so take advantage of all the training, whether, whether or not the military needs critical care, paramedic training, or not. I think, yeah, there's, there's, there's some debate that could be had there and you're going to get 51, 49, one way or the other on Tuesday, you'll get 51, one way, on Wednesday, fifty one. Way. I think do it anyway. Do it anyway. Don't wait for the military or don't wait for your unit or your organization, your company, your fire, department, whatever to so, say, Yeah, we need this. And we'll work. okay. This is an initiative that we have now. Be ahead of the game, be ahead of the curve, and be in be an asset much sooner.
0: Yeah. Um and real quick, just to clarify one of the terms, uh Cody said roll three, uh combat support hospital. So roll three, uh, imagine any hospital that you would transport to in the civilian sector. Uh it's got uh your ER set up. It's got a holding area. It's got an ICU, surgical suite, radiology, psych, um, religious services, dental lab, all of that. Um, it can be in a hard stand structure. So uh, Afghanistan, these were uh, built into hospitals um, at you know Kandahar, Kabul, um, all over the country, or it can be straight up a tent hospital. Um they are trained to do that. Uh think of MASH. If mm-hmm. you wanna like a thought of what this looks like. Uh think of MASH, the T V show. Great TV show if you haven't watched it. If you're if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't watched an episode of MASH at some point, <laughs> you need to you need to fix yourself.
2: And emergency. And emergency.
0: <laughs> yes. Um and you know, so that that's that's to well, give
3: it a one. What's wrong with you animals? <laughs>
0: I'm leaving. I'm leaving. <laughs> um but yeah I, you know uh we we jumped into a, a whole nother topic yeah. Uh, I, yeah i realized as i was asking the question not the right forum but
2: it was you brought something <laughs> so, up that was that was super uh it's just been something on, on my mind that uh, went to a conference a couple of weeks ago and that was just kind of an eye-opening like wow i never thought about what you know, what our jobs are on the battlefield what was expected of us and, and I believe you're wrong, it's not really a whole lot, you know, for at point of wounding. It's not a whole ton that they expect they ask a lot. It's not a whole lot that expect, if that makes
3: sense. Yeah, yeah. But you know, to your point, Ryan, even on the civilian side, you know, there's a lot of organizations that, that they think they're playing catch up by trying to launch blood blood on board initiatives or blood on blood on advanced vehicle mm-hmm. or what. And then, like, all the clinicians are like, we need blood, we need blood. And it becomes these, like, these little, these little pithy little topics that you, you hear them at all the conferences. They're like, well, if we had blood, I wouldn't have this problem. Well, then they get blood, and then the next day, they're bitching. Because, oh, my God, this is such a poison. Why do I to do all this stuff? Bad? You
2: just described Reboa. That's amazing. Like it's awesome. Well, keep it clean and keep them alive after you're done
0: so yeah yeah, yeah. That, it's, it's pretty that's, don't, a, don't that's another that's another wonderful topic that a lot of people are debating <laughs> no. um no you know, and to kinda spin this into um coming out of the military as a medic, being a paramedic, getting your paramedic um, recognize that as an army medic, especially depending on the jobs that you've done maybe there's certain fields within medicine that you're going to enjoy a lot more than others okay you're o- the only job there's not just one job you can do coming out of uh, being an army medic going into EMS you don't have to go and ride the private 911 ambulance and doing interfacility transfers you don't have to go and work in the fire department and be doing 911 or do private third party uh, third service level EMS doing 911 calls you can go work on an oil rig. You can go work out in the oil fields. You know, and be a contract EMT or paramedic. Um you know, go find that that niche job that is going to um play to your cards best. You know, are you that person that likes to be out by yourself being the you know, the sole provider? Then there's jobs for there for you out there. They're gu- guaranteed. Um uh throw I know I'm throwing out to a lot of people here today, uh Shade Tree Cardiology on TikTok and Instagram. He went from being a nine one one medic to an, being a an oil rig medic. And hearing what his experiences are and what he does on a daily basis, if you were a sick call medic, if you worked in sick call and you also then deployed in, you know, you know, were an infantry grunt medic, that's the job that you're gonna enjoy. You're by yourself, you're making your decisions, you're using telehealth to help base things that you're doing. Uh, does it require becoming a paramedic? Yes. Typically it does. But it's a job that you're going to enjoy. So don't just feel as though you have to be, you know, consigned to this one field in EMS. There's so many things that we do and it's an ever expanding thing. Um, you know you can yeah, go I'm and really then, same community same. Uh, you can go and do contract work as a, a medic, you know, or you know, do um, humanitarian work. As a, as a paramedic, you can go be a a paramedic on a cruise. There's, uh, I just saw someone came across my feed today that her whole page is about being a paramedic for a cruise uh, cruise ship. you know, you know, so you know what
3: certification do. I'm going after next, Josh? I'm going to get my my cut, my cut man certification. I'm going to be a cut man <laughs> for, for UFC. <laughs> That's the way to go. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah, it, you know, I, I think it's a it's such a cool it's such a cool point to bring up. Josh, it, it, and and Ken and Ryan, all of us, I mean, I want all you guys to weigh in on this. There's a there's a spectrum of paramedicine. There's a spectrum of pre-hospital or out-of-hospital care. And I I my my fear is that our generation of medics, they pigeonhole themselves into believing that that your life has four wheels in a box, and then the best thing you could hope for after that has rotors on it. That's not the case. It is not the case. You could go work in the cath lab. You could work as an anesthesia tech. There's there's a whole spectrum. I mean, what's what's the coolest job that you guys know of as a paramedic, as a civilian paramedic?
0: Um, don't cheat
3: off me. Don't borrow from me.
2: Um, I think they made Cody Winifred out. <laughs>
0: uh, no, I, I think probably, like, and I think it, it is a, a broad question because it depends on what you think is cool um i would have to say possibly like uh maybe like a backcountry medic you know you know you're on a uh, search and rescue team out in middle of nowhere south dakota montana um and there i can't think of i saw the show i don't know where it was i want to say it was like idaho or montana or wyoming where they do backcountry ski rescue Hmm. they do atv rescue they have a helicopter they've got the traditional four wheels and a box they do it all like and it's this search and rescue company out in the middle of nowhere and the stuff that's where i'm going um oh actually i um mesa utah so right there outside of arches national park their service does search and rescue. It does four wheels in a box. It does helicopter. It does critical care. Like, and they're going out into the backcountry of Mesa and Arches and Canyonlands and grabbing guys that have fallen while rock climbing or have been lost in the woods for, you know, X amount of days. That that sounds like a pretty cool job, yeah. honestly. I
3: it's, awesome. it's about being a... I don't know to say the same thing.
2: Contract their wildland firefighter, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> when when I was doing that, so I started that in 2009 when I got out. And to 2015, basically, was when I was doing that job. And I saw, of course, in California, you would have the local fire departments, like Kern County would roll out their whole, like all their medical people, and they'd have a uh, trailer. So you go get shots for poison oak, ouchie boo-boo stuff. And now I think they have companies that contract with the incident management teams to actually travel with the incident management team organically to just do all of the incident medical stuff. And traditionally, on a crew, you have an EMT or a, a guy that knew how to do some stuff, um, and he would carry an aid bag of sorts, first aid kit. But there's been incidents where guys have been hit by fallen trees, have had uh, some very severe trauma up there on the line, and they've unfortunately a lot of those guys have perished because of how long it takes to get them, get up to them, and get out. But I know, I think now they've actually had these dedicated contract crew that travel around the country, the western part of the country in the summer to do that.
0: And I I want to real quick, correct. It's Moab, Utah, not Mesa. Moab. Sorry. Ken, what do you think the coolest job outside of four wheels and a box or a rotor is? So
1: I do like the oil rig thing. I actually early on in my career applied for something very similar at some sort of a a construction type gig somewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't remember the specifics of it. Um, So I do like that. Um, But I I still worry that we're going to get into a bigger conversation here. But even with all these cool options that are out there, you're still pigeonholed into pretty much doing the same kind of stuff no matter what. And once you hit another level, that's it. You know, there's nowhere to go. There is no, <laughs> you know, um paramedic version of the nurse practitioner or the physician's assistant right now, right? We don't have that terminal degree. So and I just worry that we can bounce around from cool stuff like I just did in my personal life. I bounced from one cool job to another. And uh but there's still a, a, a ceiling there, right? So I don't know, not to bring the, the tone down. <laughs>
2: it's it's un, very unpopular, but I think, at least in I know my experience, nobody can attest to this a little bit. Some people, we know that the answer to that question is being an RN, and that's a shitty way to go, but that's the right <laughs> it's a lot answer' answers. It's RN school, man. Um, no, that, it does suck that there's not a, a, a higher – it is unfortunate that there's not a, a higher level for a paramedic to do what you're talking about. It's kind of – have that career field as, as its own pre-hospital uh, managed provider, if you will, um, instead of having to rely on a PA or a nurse practitioner. Yeah, it's, it's yeah,
0: yeah, you know, I, I I brought it up with the the team recently, and this is going to spawn into another episode in the future. But um, that point where you you still love what you do clinically, like I, I I've been doing it for uh, seventeen years. And I love it still to this day. I love clinical medicine and I don't foresee myself not loving it. Um, But I also know that I want to promote and I'm going to get away from clinical medicine and that, you know, how do I still stay within that? Or what is the opportunities for someone like myself (laughs) that maybe isn't in a fire department or a paramilitary organization that wants to do more with the knowledge and education that provided? but still stay within the clinical realm.
3: So Josh, you're 17 years in, I mean, how, how do you, how do you keep the love? Because I think that's the part that I really, a lot of us don't talk about. Like I'm very, I'm pro at best practice and, and getting degrees and all that kind of stuff. i close to, I have to my master's to, to be on board. Whatever. But you know, so what is it? So how, how have you stayed in love with the job for 17 years?
0: Um, I'm not going to say that it was, you know easy uh i definitely have been handed a hand of good opportunities throughout my time doing this and i wasn't doing it you know every day for 17 years you know i got into it in 2007 as an EMP and was a volunteer and i did casual labor with you know other departments and i was in the army and then you know now i'm in a um career fire department um but for me, it's just it sounds so corny sometimes when you say it, but like it's actually getting to affect that direct care on a person every day. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah it's, some it's, days
2: it's not corny, man. Suck.
0: Look, some days suck. Straight up. You're just running the 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 BS calls, wow. you know, you're dealing with patients that don't like you. You're dealing with hospitals that are not liking you that day you know you're and it's just a bad day it happens it happens all the time but it doesn't for me it's not the 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 sole atmosphere of what i've been doing i guess not atmosphere I, mean, I don't know what, i'm blanking on a word for it but it doesn't imbi- it doesn't embody what i do like the days where like you get to do that like those cool interventions or you have those crazy traumas, those big time medical calls, or you just straight up get to influence someone's day positively. Like right. That I mean, I I I harp on it at work that, you know, from seven AM to seven AM, this is our job. This is where we are. They want to go to the hospital, we're gonna go to the hospital. They want to take their time getting out to the ambulance, they're gonna take their time. You know, and we're going to run each call as it comes, and we're just going to try and learn from it. Uh, I I don't know if I fully well, answered. No, it,
3: comes, it comes it comes back to be a good dude. Yeah, right? if you yeah. want to do your job, be a good dude. Right? It it takes it takes it costs you nothing to be nice to 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 the lady that's shuffling to the door, and you're going to walk to the stretcher anyway, and and load her up. It it's it costs you nothing to just. Be nice and enjoy that moment and have fun with her. Like, come on, Granny, we gotta go. We got stuff to do today. You know what I mean? Like just have fun with it. don't don't insult the customer for no. any stress stress imagination. But, but Ken, you were in you were in the you were in the big city, man, for a long, long time. How did how did you stay there? How how did that how'd you keep that good mental sight picture?
1: Yeah, so a lot of it goes back to what Josh said about just enjoying patient care for me. Like, I really like being a paramedic who's there with somebody who's sick, who I can put my hands on them and affect change and hopefully have a good outcome for them. Uh, I never lost that, you know, from the time I was a paramedic when I I, I then transferred to the academy for a while. And um, I was miserable there because I didn't have any patient contact. So I promoted, went back to the field, and went out of my way to jump on calls where i knew there was going to be some patient contact that i could get involved and in affect change for somebody i think that's so important um and you know to you know fast forward a, a month later from me leaving my job um I, that is one of the few things i miss is putting hands on patients I mean, I still volunteer, but the the volume isn't the same, so it's not not the same thing, really, uh, for me. But yeah, that's that's my yeah, two cents. Yeah.
3: So what I what I hear, and and Rob, I'll give you a shout in a second. Like, so what I hear, if you don't like, because every now and again, I get something comes across the the old social media feed where I'm like, why are you doing this? You know, why do you have a whole identity built around shitting on the profession like if you don't like taking care of people don't do this job right. that's what I'm hearing if you want to be happy for the long term and you want to enjoy this enjoy being a paramedic for the long term you have to like people you have to like touch ugh, I don't want to say touching people I got in trouble <laughs> in Las Vegas last year not touching people but saying that Yeah, uh, it's a funny story it's a hilarious story I can, I can tell it at the end but um uh, if you don't like taking care of people if you don't like attending to people's needs which it's that's up to them it's not up to you to dictate what's a need if you don't like doing that then then go be a nurse i mean or go uh sorry <laughs> go be uh <laughs> wow, wow.
2: Wow.
0: <laughs> go, be a, go, be a, uh, go be a hospital administrator. There you, there, go. You oh, go. Yeah, yeah. there you go.
3: Get your get your get your MBA go work in a the C-suite. Then you can shit on the world if you want to. Yeah, you can exact your revenge on society for being you know, alive. What do you think? What's your take on this? Empathy uh,
2: is is just plain old empathy. I I I just feel for people. Um, but and I don't do uh, clinical medicine at all, and quite frankly, I don't think uh, that's that. I'm I'm a better teacher than I am a, a doer. So, but it's empathy. I was given some really awesome, just a, a small piece of advice years ago, and it, and it came up in patient care, and it was a very, I'll get into it on another time. It's very profound moment for me, and so that's my passion is just like if I if you're teaching and finding people that are struggling or. Not quite, you know, contextualizing what they're doing. It's like, hey, it's a person at the bottom of your hands that you're dealing with. They, they have feelings, they have a heart, they have a mind, they have all those things. Whether whether they're showing it to you or not, they have a heart. And I don't know I've just always felt uh, our our mother is that way, very empathetic person. I think I got that quality
3: her as far as caring for other people. Different mothers. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely different points <laughs> of view. <them. laughs>
2: but uh yeah. No, it's just sympathy. It's it's old school, just I just I, I give a shit about people.
0: I mean, I think I think we uh covered a wide range of topic here from military medicine to how do we stay in the game for so long and how do we uh enjoy this. But to sum it all up, if you enjoy medicine in the military and it can be tough to enjoy it at times, depending on what your job is specifically within the military, within your unit and role. There is a place for you outside of the military and another job and another career, okay? You don't have to just stay in the military. If you want to, go right ahead. We need those people. I was not that person. Cody was not that person. Ryan is that person. He's spending a lot more time in the military than we are. Um, but come out and... Come with the right attitude into this profession, into this career, into this realm, and make it the best you can and try and enjoy it as best you can. You know, look to others to find out how to enjoy clinical medicine, why it's so enjoyable. Hopefully, you find that in your training and your experiences. Um, and just use your time in the military to best set you up for either the rest of your career in the military or the career you're going to have after the military. Okay. Whether that's having that card in hand um, or it's making the right choices, going to the right places, talking to the right people, um, accepting life as it happens. That's how I, that's what I had to settle with. Not settle. That's what I accepted in my life. You know, I couldn't, in fact, I, left army ROTC in college after four years and enlisted in the army and the process that that took all these things led to where I am today and understand that we all have our own journeys and, you know, make sure that we best set ourselves up for a good journey in the end. So any last thoughts and words guys?
2: Yeah.
0: I appreciate you guys having me. We appreciate having you on, too, Ryan. No I, we- and, uh, the Winifred Boys on. <laughs> yeah.
3: Absolutely. I think, never there's, never. I think there's never. some... I'm going do it. I'm going to
2: do it. <laughs> I think there's some opportunities for some good, uh, at least some comedic
0: podcasts in the future. So. <laughs> yeah. Can, you got anything?
1: No. Just want to say thank you, Ryan. It's been a great talk.
0: Yeah. Appreciate it, Ken. Thank you. Cody, you good?
3: Uh yeah, hey I'll I'll say this, you know, gentlemen, thank you for your service. Thank you for what you've done uh for the country, what you continue to do for your communities. Well,
0: no problem. <laughs> out of <laughs> here. I'll, yeah, so okay. Um I guess I'll take us out, or Ken, do you wanna take us out? Doesn't matter to me, Josh,
1: whatever you wanna do. Okay.
0: I'll take All us right. out. Uh so Uh, Wherever you're listening, uh, thanks for listening. Good evening, good night, good morning. I know that's out of order. Uh, Make sure you follow us on Instagram if you're not already. Lots of stuff constantly coming from there. Um, Thank you for everyone that is following us, everyone that is giving us suggestions. Uh, To John the Paramedic, I'm going to do a little shout out. Buenos dias. Um, For some of our international followers, he's down in Mexico. He's reached out to us to uh, show his support. Uh, Hopefully he hears this at the end of this episode when we get it up on YouTube. Uh, And wherever you are, be safe and see you.